0: Who wants coffee? Who wants a pot of coffee? I just make coffee. You want a cup of coffee? Sure, there you go. Who wants coffee? Anybody else want coffee? Who wants coffee?
1: And now it's time for the man with the caffeine. The new tropics for the brain. It's
0: coffee with Mike. Hang in,
1: hang tight, grab your cup, and let's get this thing started. everybody welcome back to java chat it's coffee with mike here and i get to talk about something that i have a a a real deep interest in only because you know we're always about self-improvement and trying to build ourselves to be better uh to be able to to be able to better serve our neighbors and our our communities etc etc and some of that has has to do with like building your own ability to sometimes learn a new skill and it's always been a challenge of mine on how to learn something improving it is obviously always staying on top of it but actually mastering something and you know there's all the talk in business niche down do be a specialist on one thing and yet i have an agency and i'm in five different niches so makes it a little challenging and i have a young gentleman here i call him young because i'm old it's okay uh gentleman by the name of nick velasquez nick i want to thank you for joining us and welcome to java chat
0: hey mike thanks for having me
1: <laughs> great hey so um nick is a Passionate learner devoted student of mastery. I love the way it's said that said. He's the author of the popular blog, unlimitedmastery.com, which will be in the comments, um, where he writes about learning science, peak performance, creativity, mastering skills. So his writing has been featured in outlets such as Time and Thought Catalog. I've not read Thought Catalog, but just the name itself, I will be <laughs> after this, and I'm definitely going to be checking out your, your blog, dude. Good. Give give us a little background about you. Where, where where are you from? How did you you know run us the timeline? How did you get into this?
0: Sure. So I'm originally from South America, from Colombia. Wonderful. Yes, and then I moved to Canada sometime about ten years ago. Oh, okay. and I like it here, but I try to spend as much time as I can in Japan. Really? Yes. Interesting. Tokyo is my love. I that's I, the best. I don't city. blame you. Tokyo is an amazing city. It is an amazing city. And I love being around the Japanese. They're so polite and so friendly. It's just a different way of living. They're helpful too. They're I so know, helpful. right? Yeah. It, to me, it's the only place that I've been to that I felt like I had been thrown in another planet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. It, it is really completely different. Yep. So I love that about Tokyo. It's just uh, you feel in a strange place and people are very nice, very yeah. friendly. It's very cool. So that's that. Then my journey on learning and studying about how we learn skills, how we learn and how to learn mm-hmm. comes about two different things. So one is I've always been obsessed with learning and I take on different hobbies all the time. So I'm jumping from one thing you to like another. like me, dude. You're yes. so like me. <laughs> so for a month, it could be like photography and then the next month is brewing beer and oh. then another month is flying a plane and stuff like that. So I was always frustrated by how long it took me from learning about something and then learning how to do it. Because it's one thing to know uh, about the theory of certain skill. Let's say you know a lot about painting, but then learning how to paint is a different thing. And I was frustrated by how long it would take from going one thing to the other. And that led me into researching neuroscience, learning science, peak performance mastery. And the idea, I was trying to create a manual for the rest of my life. This was going to be like all the information that I would need to learn anything I wanted. So, essentially, nice. I was trying to find the book that I ended up writing and I couldn't find it. So, but I gathered all this information. And along the way, I decided, well, if I'm going through all this trouble, I might as well just turn it into a book and solve the, tro- the problem for everyone else. But had I known what I was getting myself into, I don't know <laughs> what I would have the amount of work that was ahead of me i was lucky i was ignorant of the process and how difficult it was going to be how long it was going to take and that i was so passionate about the subject because otherwise i don't think that book would exist agreed so that's kind of my my journey to learning the the science. but part of the reason why i've always been obsessed with learning is in my family especially my dad he didn't like anything that had to do with luxuries Mm-hmm. So if I ever wanted to buy something material, he would say no to it. So it's like that. Can you buy me a nice watch? No. Can you buy me expensive clothes? No. No. Yeah. Uh, can you buy me a car? No. Yeah. Can you send me to the U.S. to study music at this prestigious music school that's going to cost way more than everything I just described?
1: Yes. <laughs> oh, really? So, wow.
0: Yeah. So everything that was learning related, that he was a He US. was supportive. That's awesome. Exactly. But nothing awesome. that had to do with material stuff. So- it kind of ingrained in me that the most valuable thing in my life became learning, yeah. becoming better. So mm-hmm. that was part of it. And the other one is that I attended a different type of high school. So mm-hmm. if you're familiar with uh, <clears throat> the Montsori method. yeah, yeah. Okay. So imagine Montsori method, but on steroids. Wow! It's, you didn't have any teachers. I was studying on my own. So you had learning guides. There were no teachers. There were only tutors. So if you have a question about something, then you would ask them. But essentially, you, you were studying on your own, so that made knowledge something that happened from within instead of being imposed on me. For that reason, learning was never a drag. You, it was you, always something you were fun. taught.
1: You were taught how to think.
0: Yeah, you weren't taught it, it what. It was to like think. a process of discovery. Yeah. exactly.
1: yeah, that's awesome. I like that. That's cool.
0: So all those things developed this love for learning, and it kind of set me on this path of eventually studying about learning how mm-hmm. to learn how to learn. Mm -hmm. and writing the book
1: so the book is what's the title of the book again
0: learn improve master
1: learn improve master cool and it's it's on amazon now we can get a link to it and stuff like that so we can put it in the yeah uh, for sure okay awesome how's the book broken up i mean obviously the title kind of gives it away but i mean what do you what do you talk about when it's talking about learning how do you learn how do you improve how do you master let's go down that let's run down that road
0: Sure. So at the beginning, the first section is on learning Mm -hmm. and is the process of learning. So it begins by the science of learning, how we Mm -hmm. learn things. Mm -hmm. But I try to keep that very short because it's not a book about science, right? It's it's a book about how we, how to learn better. So the analogy would be a race car pilot. He doesn't need to understand all the mechanics and engineering of a car. He needs to learn how to master it. Yeah. So that's the same idea. (laughs) We don't need to know the science of how our brain works. We need to learn how to use it. So the science is is just the essential of what you need. Then I talk about the myths and misconceptions of learning. Then we go into the process and the different steps that go into learning anything, such as understanding, memorizing, practice, simulation, and performance. So those are the different steps in learning Mm -hmm. anything. And I go in depth into each of those steps, talking about about the principles and the strategies.
1: So before you go on, say that one more time. What are the steps again?
0: So understanding.
1: Understanding. Memorizing this down.
0: <laughs> so let's go one by one. So understanding is about making sense of information. Okay. And that's just the first step of anything. So you can sure. read a book, you can go to a seminar and you understand everything that's being taught. Then you find out that a week later you barely remember anything.
1: That's usual. That's Even though usual. you understood everything. Yeah, no, no, yes. no, it's like what, 24 hours later, you only remember something like 30 or 40% of whatever yes, it was that you Yes, a very small were. percentage. Yeah, very, but very small. But that's the thing,
0: the first phase of learning it's just meant for you to understand the information, to make sense of it. Got that doesn't it. mean you're going to remember it. Right. And it's, it's, there are different processes uh, psychologically. So the, the following step is memorizing, which is how do we internalize this information we already understood and made sense of. Right. So there are p- different principles and strategies for doing that. Okay. Now, after you are gone through understanding and memorizing, this is the knowing what to do. This is learning the theory of what you're trying what you're trying to do. So let's say if you're, you want to learn how to play poker first, you got to learn the rules, learn the hands and those different things Mm -hmm. you understand first, then you memorize it. But that doesn't mean you now know how to play poker. Now comes the practice. Yeah. Right. So that's the following step. Now it's putting all the theory into practice, developing our skills. So that's the learning how to do something. That's a step of practice. After that, Not everyone has the time to go through this, but it's a very important step, which is called bridging. Or we can think of it as integrated practice. Mm -hmm. And it's how do we practice what we've been learning in isolation and how do we practice it in in an environment that's more realistic? So for someone learning sports, let's say you're learning basketball, Mm -hmm. then you're learning how to shoot your two pointers and you're practicing that on your own and you're doing it for hours. But then going from that into playing an actual game
1: yeah, it's still different.
0: That, that's too much. Way so different, you yeah. You need to start integrating those skills mm-hmm. into this the uh, environment of a real game without the high-state consequences. Right. So that would mean like playing intra-squad games, playing with a few friends and trying to incorporate what you just learned. Awesome. And then the last step is the performance. Mm-hmm. That's when you execute your skill. Right. Performance is not really a step in learning, but it does help us solidify what we already learned. But the idea is we're not trying to improve when we perform, we're just trying to execute to the best of our ability. So for someone, this is a mistake that a lot of people make, learning any skill. So mm-hmm. for someone learning to play guitar, mm-hmm. and if you think practice is sitting down and play the same songs you already know, no, that's performance. That that's execution. Performance. <clears throat> yeah, You're not that, getting any better. You're playing the same thing that you already know how to play. <laughs> yeah. So I can, you can I can play actually play the same song for hours, I can, it's not gonna get much better.
1: I can totally back that up. I was a musician for 15 years and we had a lot of songs in our repertoire and our song list that are essentially, they're played the same because it's, it's familiar to people that knew the song and it was, it was rhythmic to the, to the crowds that we played for. Same song, every, every day, same, same music. The only time that we really learned how to actually play something different was when we did, took a solo. Hmm. Then you had to start really thinking, okay, what am I going to play? How am I going to play this? what modes what scales what arpeggios what things can i do to make this sound interesting and for the most part because of the kind of music that we played it was kind of hard because people didn't really care
0: uh-huh. i mean what instruments do you play
1: anything stringed that's plucked or strummed but <laughs> not bowed and 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 in the job that i was in it was necessary because i would either be a lead or i'd be a fill in so mm-hmm. i played bass ukulele guitar whatever tahitian banjo all kinds of fun stuff both electric and acoustic and and again you get to a certain spot too when you did these medleys of songs it was it was funny we did the musician's prayer have you ever seen this no it's when you're on stage and you're playing you have to keep going you got another people are calling out keys and singing a song and then they look at you somewhere around a third or fourth verse and they go and the first thing you do is you go <laughs> and it's literally the Okay god what do I do now what song can I play next we already did this one we already did this one so it was it was it was it was hilarious we used to laugh about it but again going back to your point it's just performance and if yep. you don't if you don't have the theory behind it honestly you really won't know where to go when it comes your turn to do a solo yes and it's going to sound pretty blah mm-hmm. So we challenged ourselves with other, and I, I can see where all of this goes. Cause it's it for years, I just played without knowing music.
0: Okay. Self-taught.
1: self-taught it's literally by watching and listening and farting around at home. Right. And I ended up on a stage and I was a musician's lead, still not knowing music until I met two gentlemen that knew music inside out. One I'm still in touch with today. And he's, he, he's also self-taught, but taught every self-taught everything learned every mode learned every arpeggio and plays it taught himself how to play right-handed even though he's left-handed amazing guy taught himself how to play hawaiian steel guitar amazing very very good at it still plays to this day he still sends me stuff every once in a while when he shoots a little video just playing music that's a man who mastered what he what he wanted to learn and he's been playing forever so Great totally story. makes sense. I, I I completely get it. So when when you do when you do get to the point of performance, I'm still not hearing mastery yet. So is yeah. that
0: we're not there yet? Oh, no, not yet. So where yeah, are we? So, so performance is just you're executing your skill. And by the way, we can geek out on music because uh, I was also studying music for a while. Love it! <laughs> that was my dream. I wanted to be a rock star when I was a teenager, and I've always been a big metalhead. So I had long hair, everything. So so did I. Only it's changed.
1: It went from up here to down here. <laughs> oh, I got a, yeah. I got a, I got a good video I should send to you. Just remind oh, me do. of just remind me of the metalhead because it's it's hilarious. <laughs> okay so back back to it
0: (laughs) sure no but music was music was my life really and then at one point and i know you're also into entrepreneurship so we can also talk about that and why i decided to give up music i was studying at this great school in the states and i saw all these great musicians and i was thinking like what is going to happen if i don't make it the way i want to make it because i didn't want to teach music not that there's anything wrong with it but i just I wanted to be on stage and large crowds and stuff. And I thought, you know what? Let's try to get my finances in place and then play because I love it, not because I have to. So like, all right. I had never been interested in the business world, but if that was the plan, yes, I need to find a way to make money that doesn't force me to go and try to make money with my music. So I started researching and learning as much as I could. And it kept coming up that most people or most very wealthy people had made their wealth on real estate or kept their wealth in real estate. Yeah. So I thought, Okay. That's it. And that's how I ended up in real estate, but I have <laughs> no identity attached to real estate, right? My identity is more attached to music and to arts writing, but my business and everything that I do for a living is real estate related. It's kind of strange.
1: It's a, it's a process. It's a process that supports yes. the dream. I, and I think I haven't really gotten into this with a lot of our guests, but since we're here, I think a lot of people mistake the fact that their dreams have to be completely tied to their well-being. Mm-hmm. Perhaps mentally, perhaps in passion, but that doesn't necessarily mean that has that that's what's going to support your living. I know a lot of guys in the real estate industry. The good ones and the not so good ones. Okay. And the good ones have other passions too. You know, some of them are are dead set in staying in real estate and that's all they'll do, that's what they're good at, they mm-hmm. teach it, they do it, they live it, breathe it, blah blah blah. But I know other guys that are investors and they're musicians. They're, you know, they they like to fly jets, you know, they're private pilots and stuff like that. But their money isn't tied or their identity, like you said, isn't tied to that. Their identity is still tied to what they love. And I I think if more entrepreneurs remembered that your identity isn't necessarily tied to your, your income or what generates income, even though you may have a persona in it. Mm-hmm. Even though it's yeah. not tied to that, it may, it may be necessary. It's just something that needs to be done. I mean, my identity is still in music. I'm a published musician. I actually have a, mm-hmm. one song. I have one song. It's awesome. published. It's, it's both <laughs> it's on public. Google Play and on, and, and on iTunes. So I have one song, so I can call myself a published artist. I'm, I'm proud. Um, Congrats. That's, that's my passion. My income is tied to a marketing agency you know that's that's where we make our income. I also have other investments in in other things, you know. I have shares in a tech company.
0: Okay.
1: Heck. I, yeah. I don't know that much about tech. You know, I'm not I'm not a programmer. I mean, my business partners do the programming, web building and stuff like that. My passion is talking to folks like you and music. So I think if yeah. I think if people made the the People understood that what you just said is not necessarily going to be tied to your identity. What you make money with, in order to feed your passion, mm-hmm. they might not have such anxiety over. Because I still see some people do. You know, they it they is. don't they don't live their best life. They 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 grind themselves into the floor, and they forget about the rest of it. Mm-hmm. I I haven't. I still sing. I still you know when I get a chance to sit down and play, I play because it it matters. It's it feeds the soul. Does that make sense? Yeah,
0: exactly. It makes perfect sense it's different things you i don't think one single activity has to fill all the needs in your life so for me the financial side it's done by real estate and it's just a means to an end and now i try to work less and less and I spend more, more time writing and doing the things that i do enjoy and i wouldn't have that option but i go on that different route so maybe if i had stayed with music um, like trying to make a living out of music. Maybe I'll be teaching, maybe I would have made it. I don't know, no one can tell, but it, the odds are, were against me. So I figured, hey, let's, let's try to figure out a different path that it's more certain that I can support myself and then do the music because I love it. So some people are very lucky that they get to do both and yeah. their own passion also gives them their living, but-
1: Rock stars. I don't know, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea. <laughs> Trying to be optimized depending on what I want. So it's making money. Then try to optimize that side, and it's a different path. And then for the arts, yeah, like you said, it fits the soul. So it's it's, it's a one of those. Purpose.
1: It's one of those things that I, I I think of obviously the big dude Tony Robbins, uh-huh. who talks about success as being able to do what you want when you want on your terms. Yes, and I think I think most people when they when they don't understand that that's what you just said optimizing that particular thing using a particular tool or whatever vehicle. I think most people think it has to be that one, just the one, just the one. It's like Mm -hmm. life is life. You guys, you know, you said you made of, you might've made a great teacher maybe, but that wasn't where your heart lied. That's what, it's not where your identity sits. Your identity sits Mm -hmm. in music, playing, performing, and being passionate about that. And I think, I think a lot of people still need to remember that. So if you are an entrepreneur and your passion is what you're doing, friggin' awesome. Keep going.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: If if it's if it's something that needs some support, then perhaps learning something new that can do that, like real estate. Mm-hmm. Then there's a ton of others. I I got friends that are day traders. I got friends that are you yeah. know they, they do options and they they kill it. You know it's it's friggin' amazing. I got other marketers that are friends of mine. They they crush it. Mm-hmm. You know I'm not a mega marketer. I've never claimed to be. And I got friends that you know, they're killing seven, eight figures a year. Some, some of them, six, seven figures a month. I have their cell phone numbers. I never bother them because I know they're busy, you know, and it, it, and so am I, do we intend to do better with this? Yeah. Do I intend to eventually go back to music? One of these days, I still get invites every once in a while. Hey, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you're gonna, you're gonna start playing again. I think having that, I think having that option in mind takes a lot of weight psychologically off of people. I don't know if you agree with that or not, but...
0: It does. It does. At the same time, let's say for me in this project and putting out the book, it needed some financial support. Oh, yeah. And I was lucky oh, enough Oh, yeah. That, Books that I always had, do. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. I was lucky enough that I, I had a career and built a career in real estate that could support that. So otherwise, the book would not exist. So I think about it also in a way of just fueling other passions and other projects. So let's say if I wanted to go into music, I could find a financial support to put out my own album if I wanted, mm-hmm. because the financial support is there. So in a way you just create this space. That's going to uh, be the foundation for everything else.
1: Awesome. Hey guys, we're going to take a short break real quick, give a message to one of our sponsors and uh, we'll be right back. And we're going to start digging a little further into, into this whole thing about improving and mastering. Cause I want to, I want to go dig on that. How to, you know, there's, you talk about improving memory and things of that nature. So We'll be right back in just a short. And we're back. Here we go. We're back here with Nick Velasquez, uh, author and passionate learner, devoted student of mastery. I dig that. Devoted student of mastery. How does one become a devoted student of that?
0: You become obsessed with the subject. So it's a subject that can be studied like anything else, like either anthropology or psychology or (laughs) geology.
1: Nice, nice, nice.
0: nice. (laughs) You're looking at it from the outside because I would not consider myself a master in any skill. Although I had to live by some of the strategies that I talk about in how to pursue mastery, but I am not a master by any means. But it is a subject that can be studied. You study the masters, you see what they do their practice strategies, how they approach their craft, all these different things. is like anything else, you study it. And it's been my obsession for for many years now.
1: It's interesting that you say that because I know, I know a lot of masters <clears throat> in the martial arts world where they're masters in the martial arts world. <clears throat> and even they won't claim it
0: mm-hmm.
1: because their whole thing is consistently improving. Correct. And I think that, I think personally, that's a personal opinion. That's part of the definition of mastery. It is continually seeking to how to
0: to improve something. You're absolutely right. There is this concept in Japanese, it's called Kaizen. Yep, Kaizen. It's the never-ending search for improvement. And I talk about that too. So other people may call us masters, but we should never do so ourselves. We should always remain apprentices. And that's also a feature of, of any true master, that they will never call themselves master because they know there is always more to do more to learn more to improve so it's kind of a funny thing because it's just a label that other people can give us but we should never give it to ourselves
1: yeah and that's and that's fine if somebody wants to call you a master that's cool but the true the true the true master is always a student exactly so we 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 look at it from the standpoint of like one of my buddies he was always even though he had a normal job and he was like he was a sixth I think he actually made seventh rank. He was the grandmaster of, of, a, of a certain system.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and um, he was always looking at doing something to improve the, the style, the, the practical the practical use of things and how to how to use it. And, th- and theirs was a street fighting style, even so it was a slight mixture of certain things. <clears throat> Very still still ba- basically traditional. but he was always looking for something new. He'd, he'd come back to the – and while he wasn't actually teaching in the dojo, he had his own black belt that did the teaching. He would come in once in a while. He would sit with them. He's going, you know, yesterday at work, I was thinking about this. And then, they, they, then he said, I want to try something. And they would get up and they would work with him. And they, he says, there's, there's always revelations. Mm-hmm. There's always something new. There's always something better. Or there's, there's something better for a certain situation. And I think that goes for anything in entrepreneurship. You're constantly having to look at it, is it time to pivot? Is it time to, to introduce something new? Is it time to change something here? Is there a process or protocol that we can do better? Uh, yesterday, classic example. One of the, one of our team said, Hey, we need a new, we need something that's a little better on our video editing. I'm like, okay, what do you got? And they threw, threw out a couple and we found one that just makes sense. And it's better than using one of the Adobe products, which is expensive for one. Mm -hmm. And very, you know, heavy learning curve. This other one's got templates and all you got to do is put in a few things and it looks like it was done in Adobe. I mean, Mm -hmm. very close. So it's like, okay, here's a more efficient way to do this. Now, does that mean that we're mastering the skill of of video editing? No. In fact, I I can't really have them do that because I, I don't know if you know what it takes to edit a video but damn <laughs> I, yeah, for, here's one of those things i'm going to suggest you not try to go learn if it's not something that's a passion because right. damn <laughs> so it's it it, it becomes but it, going back to that mastery everybody would call him master so-and-so master so-and-so sifu sensei whatever mm-hmm. <clears throat> and they would of course they would accept that as a as an address out of mm-hmm. respect but they would never call themselves that
0: you know nope.
1: when in fact a few a few of those masters i'd call dad or uncle because they would look at me uh, uh, of the times that we sat down and we talk and they would look at me and they go you're not normal i like well <laughs> whatever we gave that away <laughs> you know I'm, I'm an amiable zany they said no you're not normal and i would i would call them that and be like don't call me that
0: <laughs>
1: i'm like is it because i'm not your student They says, no because you shouldn't be calling me that here, he, you you should be calling me something else. So eventually it just became family. Yeah, it, which is an absolute honor. I've yes. never studied any of them. I just I have such a easy way of connecting with them. it's 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 uncanny. And you can learn. I mean, I've seen them, and I've watched what they do what they do. I know what works, and I can figure out how to do it. And in some cases, I actually did train with a couple of them, although I never were I, I wasn't their actual student there were times where they come up with this idea. Hey, can we try something? And of course my first thought is, Oh shit, ragdoll. Here it comes. <laughs> but I would get to learn these things that were either very basic or somewhat advanced. And then they would look at me and go, and you can't tell anybody. Huh. Why did you show this to me? Why didn't you show this to your black belts? This is because it's not ready yet. And, and that's, I think, oh, that runs down a, a rabbit hole. Perfectionism. Yes how the hell do you get around that? Because everybody keeps running into this whole thing about it's gotta be just right.
0: Yeah. Well, two things about that, just connecting to what you were saying of these teachers pushing forward, trying to learn even more. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the other point because if anyone considered to be a master, they think that they, they arrive somewhere and then they stop. So the idea of thinking of yourself always as a student is you're pushing forward and then then your job, if you master any skill, is to then evolve the skill itself. Yep. Is to push Agreed. it even farther than anyone yep. else before. So I was watching this great documentary. It's called the uh, Takumi, and I'll send you the link to that. Please. It's free. You can watch it on YouTube. Wonderful. And it's about this different Japanese masters that spend like 40, 50 years doing the same thing. And there is this woman that it, it does this Japanese art of cutting paper. And so basically it's just a huge sheet of paper and then you're, you're doing all these figures cutting. And she said, well, I trained and I learned from all the different masters of this craft. And now I'm one of the few ones left. And I felt like the weight was on me now to evolve the art. So then I started bending the paper.
1: Oh, nice. So she's
0: creating three-dimensional figures, which had never been done before. That's insane. But so she's like, that was my responsibility then because I mastered the craft. Now I need to push it farther. For the generation that comes, she started banging the paper and there's all these crazy things. At one point, she was so dissatisfied with the quality of paper, even though in Japan there's amazing quality of paper. Oh, yeah. But she said, now I need to learn how to make paper. Oh, geez. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> You're like, That's another level.
1: Wow. <laughs> that's, dude, that's mind blowing because. Wow. You, wow. Think about that. Yes. I mean, <laughs> you've, you've stepped into a completely different discipline. Yes. To make it a part of the discipline that you've already improved so much on. Mm -hmm. I'll share a quick story. My son is a real creative. He's very good at at drawing. I mean, like, if you look at some of his drawing, you'd swear he drew for for Disney. He's that good. And yeah, I'm pumping on my son. I, I get it. But honestly, if you guys ever see his sketchbook, it's pretty insane. He learned how to do, he started playing with origami. You know, the basic stuff. The, yes. the cranes and so on and so forth. And he would come to me and he goes, "Can you show me how to do this?" And I'm like, "No." He goes, "Why not?" I said, "Because I don't do that stuff. I don't know how to do that. I've never learned it. I don't. I don't understand it. I don't get it." Yeah. And um, one year, every year, we would go to this thing called Aviation Nation that's held over here at Nellis Air Force Base. And you know, the Thunderbirds are the big deal. They're the last thing on the on the day of the show. And he literally, at at one point, had gotten. I'll send you the link. I still have the YouTube video for it. He was learning how to make paper planes, you know, folding paper and stuff like that. And he got so interested in it that he started learning how to do cutouts Mm -hmm. and doing planes. And he started learning how to start doing the 3D versions where you can fold the paper more intricately and started making planes and they flew. So one year we went to Nellis and he had brought two of the models that he had built that were folded and bent just like this this person that you were describing Mm -hmm. one was an f-16 and if you know how f-16s are built there's a lot of curves on the bottom and over the top and he was able to mimic that with what he made and he also built an f-22 which is what the uh, lieutenant colonel who was the leader of the crew at that time flew originally Mm -hmm. and took him up to the to the to the fence line at the end of their show, they always come out and they do signatures on, on calendars for everybody. My son walked up and said, I made these for you. And there was a commotion that started because everybody's trying to figure out what's going on, what's happening, what's over there. And somebody said it's, it's, it's not, he he made planes for the for the for the pilot. And everybody just, you know, the whole ooh ah thing. And the, the lieutenant colonel looks over and he goes, Wow, you made these? He goes, yeah, they're for you. He goes, what? You mean I can keep these? He goes, yeah. And you want to talk about a boy that was just in absolute elated heaven because Lieutenant Colonel looked at it, was happy, thanked him, and I've obviously got the signature, et cetera, et cetera. But I'll send the link to you later. It's it's probably one of the coolest uh, videos I ever got to make.
0: That's a great story.
1: Uh, but again, and she went beyond that. He's never thought about doing, I need to learn how to make paper. <laughs> but that's, again, that's like, that's next level shit, dude.
0: <laughs> it is next level. But a lot of things in Japan are like that. They have this obsession with quality. Yes, and they do. attention to detail. I've never seen that. And like that influenced a lot of my work. And I try to even absorb more of that from the Japanese because it's for People that haven't been there is just incredible. Anywhere you go, you see like this attention to all the details in the shop. I, when I'm there, I wake up very early, like around 4 a.m. or so, and I go work out and I'm walking the streets and I see this guy like washing the street. He's not, he doesn't work for the city. He's just washing the street in front of his shop. And then I see him again, vacuuming the sidewalk in front of his shop. Yeah. Just so everything in front of his shop is on point. Yeah. Like, wow, it's, it's just impressive. And they're so present. That's the other thing. It's just right there in the moment. And that's what allows them to notice all these details and to be so attentive to quality.
1: Interesting that a lot of places in this world aren't like that. They're not. And this is something that I, I keep trying to preach. Please be present. Mm-hmm. What's going on right now? Because in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes next day, next week, you really don't know what's going to happen you can only do what you're doing right here so what are you doing mm-hmm. and every time i ask that question most people sit there and they go blank but you ask a japanese person that oh boy they got a dissertation for you <laughs> and it's good no i'm, I'm saying that as a, as a yes. positive thing it's it's amazing to know that a human can be so present they can absolutely observe the fact that the wind that just blew by mm-hmm was either a cool breeze a warm breeze, a pleasant breeze or, or something like that yes uh, that's really digging into presence in in, in my opinion and and I, I i'm I'm one of those that if we all stopped every once in a while and did that, you know notice like right now it's ninety ninety three wow that's interesting it's ninety three degrees in las vegas we're expected to go to one hundred thirteen today mm. to my to my, to my eyes, I'm looking out the windows, it seems a little overcast. So it may stay at 93 to 97. And I'm okay with that. Who else is going to notice that today? Who else is going to care? And yet, doesn't that affect mood? Doesn't that affect your workouts? Doesn't that affect your reading? Doesn't that affect, you know, the noises that go around?
0: Oh, for sure. And that's that's something else, I think. We, we developed this idea that it's every, everything kind of goes on in our mind and mm-hmm. we're trying to ignore the effect that the environment has on us, mm-hmm. but the environment is so powerful. That is the driving force of one of the most incredible feats of nature, which is evolution. Mm-hmm. So the environment shaped the physical and, <laughs> and psychological forms of every living being on earth. do yep. And we think that is not <laughs> going to affect us. Yeah. But it's yeah. all within our mind. No, the environment has a very strong influence on us. And if we're not connected to that, not tapping into it and recognizing how our mood fluctuates with it, how our habits fluctuate with it, then we're just lost. If we think it's all just in our head, it's not. We're part of this thing. We're connected to the environment. We're connected to our surroundings.
1: Yeah. I I a lot of people just kind of pass it off as that's just there when they forget that so are you. Yeah. And I, I'm serious. It's like one of those things where people, you know, they think, well, I'm, I'm. When they say environment, they, they, people, especially in this country, people think environment has to do with your social or, or that kind of stuff. That may be a part of it, but that's not all of it. Mm -hmm. And the connection to the environment, as it were, temperature, weather, things of that nature. They forget about that part
0: yes and it's so important like for me coming from a country where the temperature is the same all the time because we're riding the equator mm-hmm. and so the weather is kind of a known thing it's either it's raining or it's sunny and, <laughs>
1: and that's pretty much it wet season and dry season that's about yeah
0: it. <laughs> but then coming to montreal where we have such harsh winters yeah and then very hot summers you see it how everyone changes yeah like towards the end of the winter you can't stand anyone because people are so fed up and no one's in a good mood to me that's kind of a fun and nice part of it because i'm usually <laughs> in, a, in a in a darker state of mind so when i walk in the winter and i see people like they're all mad and stuff i see them like yeah exactly don't Understand each other just imagine that state all year round yeah
1: yeah exactly
0: <laughs> empathy yeah. when i go out in the winter but in the summer everyone's so hyped and i can't can't relate to that. Yeah. It's just not my way of being. So I feel <laughs> isolated and just, you know, because I can't enjoy the summer as much as everyone else. But in, in places like this, and for me, it was very interesting living with the seasons because I was trying to force my habits into the seasons. And now I try to live with the seasons. Yeah. So when it's, it starts getting cold and we're going into the winter, then I do more reading, I do more writing. It starts getting warm. Then I try to be more outside, spend more time with friends and family. So it's it's just that idea of taking the environment with you and living with it. We can't be inside. Yeah. We can't be separate from it as much as we want to think we are.
1: You popped up an interesting word. And it's a word that most entrepreneurs despise. Actually, they don't, but I, I like to throw drama into it. Um, it's a word that most people like to despise and it's called habit. Yes. And we, I've been through, you know, how to create new habits. How long does it take to create a new habit and what works for habits and blah, blah, blah. So when you're looking at, as you're going through this, by the way, we're going to have to have you come back because this, all of these subjects go way deeper than what we're doing right now. We're, yeah. we're really doing a 20,000 foot view from, from everything that we're talking yes. about. But all when you're talking time. about building, yeah. When you're talking, especially when the book, the, so the book's not out yet or is it?
0: Oh, the book is out. Yes.
1: Okay, good. Yeah. I was going to say, if it's not, we need to come back and promote book like crazy when you're talking about building habits, the building like training habits. Now, this is, this is for the learning portion, I'm assuming, correct? Yes. Okay. How do you do that? I mean, what, what things can, do you need to take into consideration when you're building that?
0: Sure. So there are a couple of things you can do about it. And when I talk about habits in the book, it's in regards to practice. So many times we take on a new skill and we're dreaming about how fun it's going to be once we're good at it. But then we realize the work that goes behind it, and that's when people quit. Yeah, because it's (laughs) not fun. That's when they run away. Exactly. There's no fun in that. Yeah. So I talk about building the practice habit, which is really important. Okay. So there are a couple of things to do there. Uh, One of them is first consistency and then intensity. So the idea is start small. And you're doing, let's say you're practicing three times a week for half an hour or one hour. And that's enough. And let it go like that for a month or two months. And then once you feel comfortable, then you add the intensity. Where people make a, that mistake a lot is that they try to do too much too soon. And you see this often in working out, especially at the beginning of the year when oh, everyone's yeah. doing their, oh yeah, <laughs> resolutions. Oh, yeah. Like I'm gonna go to the gym for four hours every day. It's like no man, that's <laughs> that's not gonna work.
1: You're not a power lifter. Stop
0: it. No, no, you're gonna burn yourself out. <laughs> it's like start going. If you want to go every day, then go every day for 20 minutes. Yeah, but not an hour. And then you build. So first consistency, then intensity. And the thing is, it can take anywhere from 20 days to six months to build a new habit. So you got to keep it going. And, and habits are built, s- same idea, on consistency. <clears throat> I, I heard too often.
1: I heard that the average time, average time, listen to this well, folks, because this is the average time <clears throat> it takes to build an actual habit. Somewhere between 60 to 66 days. Folks, please take note of the word average. Mm-hmm. That, is a, that is an accumulation and, a, and, a, and an average of how many different people did different things to create a new habit. 66 days is not yours, or maybe it is. You might be the six-month person. You might be the 20-minute person because there are some people that can pull habits out of their butts in less than, you know, less than an hour. It happens. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make you any less than them or any more than them. That doesn't make them any more than you or less than you. The average is somewhere between 60 to 66 days for one to stick. What he just said made absolute sense and backs it up totally. Consistency. Yes. And, and beginning with like 20 minutes in the gym, dude, that's really all you need. If you're doing a half hour of HIIT training, guess what? You're done. Mm-hmm. Do that three times a week. Watch what happens to your health.
0: Yes. I work out every single day and I don't work out for too long. About 30 to 40 minutes. That's really and the reason amazing. I do it every day is because it's easier for me to keep going than to stop and restart. So it's easier for me to work out every day for 30 minutes than to work out three times a week for an hour. I, see. I swear that's a human condition. I'd say so. There's this quote from, I think it's Andy Warhol. And he would say, it's either every day or never. And I try to live by that. Like I write mm. every day, I work out every day, I read every day, even on, the, on my days that are meant to be the days off. Let's say for working out, yes, you do need a day of, of rest and let your muscles recover. But then I do some active recovery. Then I do a little bit of cardio instead of lifting weights, but something that is physical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, this is an idea, and it's probably going to a, a rabbit hole if you want to go there. So Careful. this is something that I was thinking the <laughs> other day because there's not a single day that I'm happy I'm going to be working out. Not a single day. It, it just became my routine. Like I do it, right. but I never wake up thinking, Oh, this is so cool. I'm going to go work out. I'm so happy about it. No, no, never. And it's been years I've been working out. That is a
1: strange human. That is a strange (laughs) human that does that, especially when they know they're going to be torturing themselves.
0: Exactly. (laughs) But you feel good after. So there is this quote from Hemingway used to say, I don't enjoy writing. I enjoy having written. Yeah. And I think that's what we're after is like, we know it's going to be difficult and we know we're going to push ourselves, but then the reward is you're going to feel it the rest of the day. So if you think about it, it's only 30 minutes of struggle and then you get the rest 23 and a half hours of the day. you feel really good about yourself and knowing you're getting healthier and it's all good? But then the point that I wanted to go to is I remember being very annoyed thinking I got to work out and it's every day and like this never ends and it's never going to end until I die. And then I thought, how about what would be my ideal day? And let's think about it for a second. And mm. let's, I'm not saying the ideal day in the sense of, taking a vacation and you're in the beach and having fun. No, just the in average ideal day. What would you like to have in it? So I started asking myself that question. I thought, well, I would like to exercise. That makes me feel good. I would also like to read. That makes me feel very good. I would like to write. That's, that's great. So why, if all those things are part of my ideal day, why wouldn't I want to do them every day? Why would I need a break from them? That doesn't make sense. And that's right. why I do it every single day. There, there's, there's no Sunday that I take off. Why would I take off? In my day off, I would like to do the things that I already <laughs> identified as the things that are part of my ideal day. So sometimes it's just switching a little bit and thinking, it's not that you have to, it's that you want to. It's right. not that I have to exercise, it's that I want to exercise. But after we do it for so long, then we start thinking, oh, it's just something I have to do. And we change the narrative and we change the outlook. But when we switch it back and say, no, I'm not doing it because I have to. I'm doing it because I want to. And given the choice, I would like to live the days of my life doing this activity.
1: That's It's an interesting point you make. And and I'll I'll add on to that by saying that there are certain things that I grew up with where it wasn't I, just that I want to, but I get to. Yes. That really changes a frame of mind when, when you can wake up in the morning and say, wow, today I get to play music.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: A lot of other guys out there can't. They have, to go, they have to go to a job that they're not really happy with. You know, I, Even okay. though I know I got to play with a couple of guys that are really challenged at playing music, I still get to go play music. I get to go to the gym today, even though I might have a shit workout.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: get to go to the gym today. I get to read today. I, th- I think when you, when you put your frame of mind in a place of, you know, it doesn't have to be like this. It could be a lot worse. I mean, a lot worse.
0: Yes.
1: I'm, I may not be able to go to the gym. You know, I've got friends that are disabled. They, they can't work out. I mean, you put something in their arms just to carry, it's painful. I get to go do these things. And, and yes. I, I, again, I'm totally with you. I, I get that. When we, when we look at the perfect week, I can't remember who said it, but when you, when you get to do your passion every day, it's no longer a job. Now it's work and we put the work in because yep. we enjoy it. That makes sense.
0: Yeah. It makes perfect sense. And you do it every day. And that part of that you said of, I get to that's something. Yes. I've heard it a couple of times from people in personal development is switching. I think even Tony Robbins talks about that. Mm-hmm. The makes perspective from I have to, to I get to, mm-hmm. and I was thinking about when uh, doing that exercise of the ideal day and I figure, yes. And, but I wanted to take it a little bit further because it's not just the, I get to, because the, I get to implies a, a choice, but the, I want to implies a passion, a desire, a desire to do
1: it. That makes sense. So,
0: so both of them, it's both. I get to, and I, I want, I to. like,
1: I like the next level of, I want to the, yes. I think that I get to is the permission. I think that yes. I want to is the direction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, that is your purpose. Is, this is what I want in life. So it's not like, oh, I get to spend time with my friend. It's I want to spend time with my friend. So part, it starts with I get to because, yes, first you need to have that option. Yeah. So for me, in, like, say, talking to my mom who's far away and, mm-hmm. and we talk often, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't be the just the I get to but the I want to. Okay. So I think it just pushes it a little bit more. But both both steps are important.
1: So at this point, we get to take one more break for one more message. And we'll come back and we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up. We're gonna talk a little bit more about raw talent and how that fits into mastery. And then we'll we'll wrap it up and we'll figure out where we can find you and how we can get your book and all of that stuff. Okay. We'll be right back, guys. And we're back. We're sitting here having a Java chat with Nick Velasquez, author of Learn, Improve, and Master. Anything for that matter. If that makes sense. And we were just talking a little bit about some of the philosophies about being able to getting to versus wanting to. And earlier we were talking about it and we ran down a different rabbit hole, but I want to go back to it. And I know you do too. And that's talking about perfectionism. Give us your, give us your perspective on that. I want to, I want to know what you think.
0: Sure. So there is this very popular line that's been said many times now, especially in tech companies and entrepreneurs that said that done is better than perfect. And, well, yeah. Perfection is a trap. Yeah, yeah. First, first of all, you, you can't get to perfection. It's impossible. And most often it's just another form of procrastination brought by fear. Yeah. But to me, the idea of just getting something done, like rushing through to the finish line, just to get it over with, that's mediocre. Mm-hmm. So it's not the point of just getting it done. Like if, if you're just trying to get it done because you don't want to do the hard work, Mm -hmm. that's very mediocre. So the idea that I'm proposing, and I talk about it in the book that I've seen from studying the masters is that they strive for bestism, not perfectionism, but bestism. Have I given the best that I could possibly give? If the answer is no, you keep improving. Yes, it is hard work, but that's what you're meant to do. And when you get to a place, when you know you gave everything you got, like when you left everything on the field, even if far from perfect, that's when you stop Yeah. So as a, as a personal story, when I was writing the book, I took this short section. It might've been like three paragraphs or so. And I rewrote it close to 40 times and I couldn't make it any better. And at one point, just on that last, that, that last attempt, I went, I don't have the skill as a writer to make this better. Right. This is the best that I can do. It's really far from perfect, but this is the best I can do, given my skills at the moment. Mm-hmm. And that's when you stop and move on. Beauty. So the idea is, you're not trying to reach perfection. You're trying to give your best, even if really far from perfect. And deep down, we know where that is. We know if we gave it all. We know if we really tried. But then you, we do need to move on and saying, I should not be striving to be perfect because that's impossible. I did my best, and that's all anyone can ever do. And now it's time to move on.
1: I I, I love that definition. Uh, if I can add to that a little bit, perfect for you doesn't necessarily mean perfect for others. Yep. What, you, what you think may be perfect <clears throat> may also not be what the market wants if you're trying to sell something or build something for as a solution, as an entrepreneur. I know a lot of entrepreneurs go through that one. Oh, this is perfect. Why isn't it selling? Because it's perfect in your eyes.
0: Yep.
1: But the market doesn't want it yet or doesn't understand it yet or doesn't need it right now. You may be ahead of your time. You may be behind your time. I, I have a, a good friend of mine who's an angel investor. And he started, he started a business, I think four or five years ago, great concept, big competitor in the, in the emergency industry would have been huge. Didn't quite make it. And then somebody said, Hey, maybe we should try this again. And he's like, Hmm, let me try something first. And he went out and he literally invested five figures to have a study done to see if it was worth bringing the thing back or not. Mm -hmm. And he was told it was too late. So said, don't do it. You're going to throw good money after bad. Just let it go. And and he did. He let it go. He cut it loose. He told me about it later. He says, I feel bad because we're investors on it, but I'm not going to put more money into something that's not going to work. Uh So perfect product? I can tell you. I knew what the product was going to do. It was a perfect product. And it would have done smashing had they got it out in time perfect for you doesn't mean it's perfect for everybody so don't get stuck on that one but giving the best that you can at any given that was a definition i had one time i was I was asked a question in an interview years ago what's your definition of quality so i'll ask you that question real quick and then i'll tell you what mine was what's your definition of quality
0: i think we have all of all of us we have this internal sense of what our best can be mm-hmm. and so there is the internal and the external quality of it. So for, for one side is, if I give it my best, I consider it to be a work of quality. Absolutely. It might not be quality for someone else, but mm-hmm. it is the best that I could do. Yep. So we kind of need to divide it in two because one thing is object objective quality and yeah. when everyone regards something, let's say a painting and be like, this is quality work. Mm-hmm. But the other one is my, my absolute best attempt. And that is my highest point of quality. So there... Let's talk about it in this sense. There is a lot of this discussion of top performance or mm-hmm. peak performance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't play basketball. I don't know how to play basketball. If I went out on the court and I was on the zone, like I was playing the best I could play, that's peak performance. It still yeah. sucks, but <laughs> that it's that is my best. Okay. So there is a, there is a mistake. <laughs> Thinking, Don't ask me to
1: do a layup. It'll never happen.
0: you thinking <laughs> that peak performance means mastery. Peak performance is just you're operating at your best, even if your best is really <laughs> below standard. Right.
1: <laughs> and and whose standard? Yeah. It's, yeah. I completely yes. agree. Yeah. My, my definition that was asked that was in the job interview it was, it was it was with reference to delivering quality of service or quality of product. Mm-hmm. And the answer that I gave at the time. Uh, was the best possible service or product you can offer at that moment in time. At that moment in time is what got me the job. Yes. And, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it addresses the same. It's, mm. are you giving your best right now? Yes. If you are, you're paying attention to every little detail that's going on within the process and protocols of the business. And it was working for a very large company that, that deals in deliveries.
0: Yep. is yes, that ideal bestism. Yeah. We try to do our best and there is this concept in Japanese, it's called Kodawari, and that's the name of the, the press uh, mm-hmm. that published the book. So Kodawari is usually translated as fastidiousness, but in the sense of like that things need to be right and they need to be your highest quality. Mm-hmm. Um, so people often hear this story about Steve Jobs and how he wanted all the interior of the Mac to look beautiful, even though no one was going to see it. And then everyone retells that story saying like, oh, wow, he was such a visionary. He was so uh, demanding on quality. That's how the Japanese think about everything. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, they do. Yeah, they and do. He was,
0: and, and I was reading recently about like this Japanese concept. Apparently, he was a really fan. He was a big fan of uh, Japanese culture. And he went there several times and bought some pieces from some uh, Japanese craftsmen because of that idea they always approach the things that they need to look great and they need to be your highest quality, even Mm -hmm. if no one notices. Mm -hmm. So it could be something hidden in the product. No one's going to get to see it, but they know it's there. And to them it's important to get it right. So I try to apply and take some of that in my own life and in my own work. There is this quote in the book and it's, it's kind of the quote that starts the book and it's from Michelangelo. And I had read the quote and I thought, this is perfect. This is, this encapsulate everything that I want to say in the book. So I got the quote and. Don't say the quote.
1: Don't say the quote. uh, We'll make them read read the book. Make (laughs) them read the book. Want the quote? Get the book.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Then I thought. Well, I need to know more about this. I need to know about the context of Michelangelo, his life history, all this stuff. So I bought this biography of Michelangelo. I read the biography. I thought, this is not enough. So then I took this lecture. It's like 12 hours of lecture from mm-hmm. this guy who is considered like the biggest expert of Michelangelo. He's the same one that wrote the biography. Mm-hmm. So I took his course. And then I felt like this is not enough. So I reached out to him. <laughs> <laughs> and I told him about the quote. And we had like this discussion. He sent me even more work that he had done on different quotes from Michelangelo and the idea behind, because there's a lot of things that Michelangelo didn't say, but his biographers said he said, because they wanted him to look a little bit better. So we had two biographers, Vasari and Condivi, and both of them kind of aggrandize Michelangelo. So we don't wow. really know a lot of the details if they were real or not. Right. <clears throat> so we had all this discussion and then in the end, that made me switch something In how I introduced the quote, because it said Michelangelo said that was the original way Uh I wrote it. Uh And after all of this, which might have been 40 50 hours of work and then reaching out to the professor and everything, I had to add the supposedly said Mm -hmm. and then add the quote. So all that work was just to add that word of supposedly.
1: And it changes the whole feel of what that is.
0: Yes, but and the point is. Most people are never going to notice that. And unless I had told the story, no one would yeah. know the amount yeah. of work. that. W- I don't talk about Michelangelo again. That, that's it. It's like his quote, <laughs> that's first the book. And then in the closing, I talk about him again, but very shortly. And no Amazing. one would ever notice. Pro- probably people read it and just glaze over the word, glaze over the quote. It's like, oh, that's interesting. But that's the end of it. But to me, I needed to go that deep because it needed to be right.
1: Well, that just means that you're a better researcher in what you provide. So people, have an easier, people should have an easier time, especially after hearing this, should have an easier time digging into your book and realizing, yeah, you should probably pay attention to every word that you put in here. And yeah, I think, that, I think that matters. I think that really matters. Yes, to me I, that's quality. Yeah, absolutely.
0: This is knowing that I gave <laughs> the attention to all those little details, even if no one's gonna notice, they're for me, really.
1: You'd be surprised especially depending on how many people actually read the book over time. There are those who take little notices like that. And Uh you're going to, you're depending on how far the book goes, you're going to get opposing views. And some of them are going to try to call you out on certain things. And and it's, it's interesting to see when it happens. I have a book too, that I I'm going to be re-releasing soon. And it's on business etiquette of all things, which also focuses on being present. Yes. And I, I'm, I guarantee you, especially with everything that's going on right now, mm-hmm. if I released that book today, I would get called out on so many platforms,
0: <laughs> yep.
1: because a lot of what being present means, most people mistake for taking as political correctness, right? And it has nothing to do with that. It's it's really not political at all.
0: Yep. So it, okay. I think. Go ahead. The Mike, uh, what I was going to tell you. Yes. People can call you out and people can find mistakes and we all make mistakes. And I'm sure my book has tons of mistakes, it's not a big but at deal. least they're not mistakes of sloppiness. I think that's what makes the difference. That's what makes me, that's what allows me to sleep at night and be comfortable with the work that I put out. And yep. I think it will be the same for you. It's like, yes, I know there'll be things that are wrong, inconsistencies, all this different stuff, but you gave your best. So we go back to bestism. A book will never be perfect, will never be free of errors as much as you try, as much as you edit, as much as you copy edit, you're gonna have grammar mistakes, punctuation mistakes, factual mistakes, but you gave your absolute best. So at least someone could read your book, for example, and be like, oh, well, I found this thing that is not correct, but I, I could see the work that was behind it. I see there was an effort to get it right.
1: And then and looking on, and, and looking on the other side of it, you know, we're both always open to being corrected if there's a factual piece that needs to be corrected. Yep. Okay. Bring it. I'm happy to learn. I've, I'm not. Sure. I'm not. I'm not the master of anything. Mm. I don't know everything. I don't claim to know everything. In fact, I usually come to the table going, "I don't know, Jack. <laughs> you know, teach me." Because there's going to be something in here of everything that I learned over the time that I've known this stuff. There's going to be new stuff. There's going to be new data. There's going to be new changes. There's going to be new norms. Yes. Just because I did my research of the past doesn't mean I know what the future is. And if if the future has to change or has a change in store, I need to be ready to move that with it, improving and remastering. And con- like you said, continuously being a student. So it makes absolute sense.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and you're like right. Like you
0: said, at this moment in time.
1: At this moment in time, you being the best or giving your best, I'm sorry, giving your best, bestism, to be yes. able to bring the best information that you can possibly present should bring more than enough. I was going to say cloud, but that's not the right word. It should bring more than enough um, credibility to the table for anybody that they'll at least take the time to read through it, not to go looking for mistakes, but yes. to go looking at go, to go look at what you did, and be able to turn around and go, yeah, that was good, or eh, it was okay, or wow, it was phenomenal. Uh, and then of course the haters that'll come out, and eh, no, no, no. you know, love those guys too. Yeah. Um,
0: the other side of it is just taking what works for you. Yeah. So maybe you find a book that has mistakes. Like I read some books that are, that are very old and some things don't apply anymore, but then you take what's good from them. Then you apply that to your life instead of everything has a, a mistake. Yeah. But but I think it's just easier to focus for, for many people and all these haters. It's just easier to focus on the mistakes than do the actual work. So it's easier to say like, Oh, this, this is not correct. And that's why I didn't apply anything that was in the book. It's like, you're missing the point. Mm. You're supposed to take what's valuable and then use it. And, and then reject whatever you don't find valuable. That's it.
1: And 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 to make it even more positive, not necessarily reject, just don't use it.
0: Yeah,
1: that's not rejecting it. Rejecting it is like ah, that stuff is crap. Yeah. Listen, it wasn't crap when it was first out. It obviously worked for somebody, and it's going to work for somebody else. It doesn't apply to you. That's okay. We have we have this thing called life that we all have to go through. We all have different cards dealt to us, and we have to play our hands as well as we can. You know, and and I hate to say it, but. Definition of who's a winner and who's a loser varies from person to person. You know, the janitor that's happy cleaning the back hallways and, and washing, washing the sinks and cleaning toilets, who's happy doing it again. I said, who's happy doing it Yes, has been, has been most people would think he was dealt a bad hand and yet the man smiles every day. Uh Meanwhile, the CEO who has been dealt a different hand is miserable every day because of all the crap he's got to deal with and doesn't wake up going, I want to go, go do this.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: Yeah, it's very different. So I think, I think the best part that, or the best thing that anybody could possibly do, when it, whether it comes to watching a video or reading a book or taking a class or learning something new, whatever that new skill is, I think it just behooves them to just go through it. And if they didn't get anything, look into your own head and heart and go, okay, what blocked me from even figuring out one thing out of this? Because everything has something in it. It could yeah. be one stupid little sentence. And I, I don't mean to say it that way, but it could be one little sentence. Yes. If you, like that. Yeah, if, if you If you take that and say, okay, that was interesting. What does that mean? Well, guess what? You just started the new journey.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I, I think that's pretty good. My brother, we have hit that mark. All right we are there and fast. i don't think i don't think we're even halfway through, <laughs> through what we're supposed <laughs> to be talking about uh, i would like to have you back um, awesome i think i think back. we've got I'll a lot to more to back. talk especially talking more about the, uh, the, improve and, and the mastery type. i don't think we got far enough into it yet um we still got the touch of it i think everything is related it is because but I, I know there's a much lot much more stories lot yeah I, I think there's a lot more to today what's going on where do we find you Myself and Nick Velasquez, ciao for now.
0: Awesome. For more
1: information on Java Chat, visit www.javachatpodcast.com. You've been listening to Coffee with Mike on Java Chat. Tune in weekly to this podcast for the next episode. You can also download or subscribe today on your favorite podcast platform. A production of Oasis Media Group, LLC. Located in Las Vegas, Nevada. Copyright 2019.
0: All rights reserved.